Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Callie Patrick. Callie is an adult sleep coach and number one best-selling author of Mastering Your Sleep Puzzle, your 12-week guide to sleeping better. She helps stressed out, tired people reclaim their sleep, energy, and enthusiasm for life. In the episode, Callie shares why unwinding before bed isn't enough, whether or not daily naps are a good idea, how to prepare yourself for sleep throughout the day, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Enjoy the episode. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Callie. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for having me. I've done a couple episodes on sleep in the past, and they're always big hits because I feel like sleep is something we all struggle with at some point in our life and maybe even throughout our life. And then there's different seasons of life. And so when things change, maybe what used to work for you doesn't work anymore. So I'm really excited to dive into this topic. And I know my listeners are excited for this episode as well. Can you start off by telling us a bit about your background and what led you to become a sleep coach? Absolutely. I, I started my career working in high tech. Hmm. And, uh, and after about 20 years of you know, dealing with corporate life and, and the fast pace and the high stress, I um, decided to switch into a different career, and that wasn't. It wasn't like one day I, I woke up, pun intended, and said, <laughs> and said, "Oh, I'm going to be a sleep coach." Right? Um, I basically suffered from burnout before it was so widespread, and a lot of that was sleep deprivation and you know self-described insomnia which was caused by a lot of the stress in my life and not being able to uh, process what i needed to process and not being able to settle down enough really to get restful and refreshing sleep and as you'd likely know the stress and the sleep what they get into a cycle they get into a negative feedback loop and so Anyhow, I experienced that myself, and I have also experienced uh, doing all the things, right? Going to the doctor, doing the sleep study, getting the medication, trying the supplements, doing the pillows, and right, all the things that you would think, uh, the sleep hygiene, right? All the things you would think that would help someone sleep better and fail to help myself. And once I finally experienced burnout, I was like, okay, I need to just start over how do I get myself back on track? How do I get myself healthy in body and mind? And what I learned about that process, 
uh, led me to studying yoga in a deeper way, uh, led to yoga therapy training, led to coaching training. And as a result of that, I thought, well, I could really help other people who have been in my situation. And so that's how I formed my practice. And and that's why I coach people today. Mm. I think the majority of us know sleep is important, but I would love to hear from you why you think and how you've learned it's so important. Well, it's, it's important for different reasons for different people, right? I don't think anyone says, I want to sleep better for the sake of sleeping better, right? I mean, some people do enjoy sleeping or they want to re-enjoy sleeping, but we want to sleep so that we're the healthiest version of ourselves to be able to do the other things in life that bring us meaning and joy, right? Mm-hmm. So whether that's um, something to do with a career or something to do with a passion or how the relationships are how you're showing up in a relationship and how you're making connections or how you're contributing, right? We, we sleep well for our own physical health, mental health, our energy, et cetera. But we do that in service of what else it is that we want to be doing. So I think it's a very individual um, reasoning about why people want to sleep better. It seems like every day a new study comes out that links sleep deprivation to some sort of condition, whether that's a physical uh, issue, um, certainly sleep affects immune system, which we obviously learned about pretty pretty significantly in the past couple of years. Uh, it's, it, it affects our, ter- our long-term cognitive abilities, right? So uh, they're tying poor sleep to um, more dementias, such as Alzheimer's disease. Certainly, we know that when we are not well rested, we don't show up the same way in our day. Um, And that does affect our relationships. It does affect our stress and our mood in particular. So um, again, it's interesting, right? The the motivators, the reasons to sleep better are are so many and are very varied. And what's important to one person uh, may not be important to another person. So it's, um, there, there are just so many, so many different reasons. I, I captured uh, a lot of them in the third chapter of my book, but those were specifically ones that, you know, I tend to work with middle-aged professional people. And so the ones that I've, I've highlighted in the book are ones that are um, most usually interesting to that population hmm. at that phase in their life and, and, and what they're dealing with. So, but there are so many, I had, I could have wrote a whole book on <laughs> <laughs> the benefits yeah. of sleep. Right. I work in the nutrition and weight loss coaching space. And there's interesting research that also points to even just one night of impaired sleep can cause extreme cravings the next day. And we're not usually reaching for broccoli. It's usually yeah. chips or, you know, the sweets. And so it's correlated then with possibly eating upwards of 500 extra calories the next day, just from one poor night of sleep. And so it's something I talk to my clients about of if you're not sleeping, even just naming that when you wake up of, oh, you know, today I might experience more intense hunger or cravings. And so how will I handle that? And kind of expecting that it will happen rather than getting caught off guard when it does. And that's something I've done for myself. And it's been very helpful because instead of feeling so hungry and not knowing why, and then blaming myself and getting mad of, you know, why does this always happen? Why am I so hungry? Just naming, oh yeah, I didn't sleep well last night. That would probably be a big reason. And then tackling it kind of in a more methodical 
uh, intentional way rather than just like diving into the chips first thing. Um, Absolutely. Not going to help. <laughs> and, and maintaining a healthy weight or losing weight is, is highly dependent on sleep because as you know, not only are we, uh, not only is our decision-making impaired, right? Like you said, we're not reaching for the broccoli. We're reaching for the chips and the chocolates and whatever it is that is going to give us the energy that we're, we're seeking or the, the pleasure we're seeking that we didn't get from our sleep, but also chemically, right? The way the body is responding to that sleep deprivation is altering the chemistry and, and making it harder to, to make good decisions. So it's uh, if, if people aren't losing weight or not maintaining weight in the way that they want to, and they're not sleeping well, it can be kind of the secret weapon, right? Totally. That, there's, there's, it's not about the food, right? It's about shifting attention to, to a place where, um, oh, there's this other aspect of my health and well-being that's influencing another. Mm-hmm. Do you find that a lot of people think they're sleeping enough or come from, I mean, I think in our culture, we have that I'll sleep when I'm dead mentality or I, I function great on five hours of sleep. Every, everything's perfect. And maybe not knowing how they would feel different. I mean, is it kind of tough for some people to realize they're not sleeping well because they don't know the alternative and they're kind of just training their body to not require a lot of sleep? So there are certain characteristics. I almost want to, as you're asking me that question, I, want, I almost want to put together a, an archetype you know, library <laughs> of people because there's certainly a group of people who don't think that they need more than six hours of sleep and they think they're functioning fine. The research, the science of otherwise, mm-hmm. um, both for long-term physical, mental health, for short-term decision-making, uh, just alertness, etc. So for example, if someone is sleep deprived, it's like they're, and they get behind the wheel of the car, it's like they're driving while intoxicated. Mm-hmm. We don't recognize that necessarily, but studies have shown that. Uh, studies have also shown that we make riskier decisions and we're not aware of it. And back to your point about uh, a single night of short sleep, which is usually defined as six or fewer hours, uh, people's immune systems decrease by 70%, 70 so if there are flus out there and viruses out there, we are much more susceptible to getting to getting sick. So the fact that, oh, I can function well is, is not completely accurate. And I don't think people understand that just because they think they feel fine and operate fine, they're probably not op- operating at their optimum potential. Mm-hmm. I'm not aware of that. So there's certainly that category of people who say, ah, I don't need any help. Then there's the, the other category of people, I think, who sleep great, which is fantastic. There's also a group of people, I think, who um, have a sleep issue. They recognize they have a sleep issue. And they're not sure that there's anything they can do about it anymore, right? Because like like myself in that situation, I've, I've Googled sleep, I've done the sleep hygiene things, it doesn't work. Or I've listened to the meditations, it doesn't work, right? I'm just not a good sleeper and there's nothing you can do. Or I have this other complicating factor, right? I have a chronic illness, I have some chronic pain, um, I have XYZ disease, and so that's why I don't sleep and therefore, you know, the hands are up and there's nothing I can do and that's simply not true. 
Mm-hmm. And but there is that sort of loss of hope and loss of confidence that anything can help. And I understand that 100% because I was certainly in that in that camp. So it can be challenging as an adult sleep coach who mostly works with people who have struggled for five years, 10 years, 15 and 20 years even to say, I, you know, I get that. And there's still something you can do. Mm -hmm. And even if you improve your sleep by 25%, how different you can feel based on that is something that a lot of people can't even fathom anymore. Yeah, I was in that camp as well for a while. And what I now realize is I had given up and would just say I'm a bad sleeper. And I wore it as this kind of personality trait almost and just said, yeah, that's me. I'm a bad sleeper, which then made it feel like there's nothing I can do about it. That's just who I am. But then it was this self-fulfilling prophecy because I feel like the more I told myself that, the more my body thought, oh, yeah, we're a bad sleeper. And so then I didn't sleep well because I was telling myself I'm a bad sleeper. So it was just this constant struggle and cycle just repeating itself. Absolutely. And that's that's a huge part of it is the mindset around sleep and rest and how we think about our capabilities, what we say to ourselves when we're not sleeping the way we want to be, right? Whether that's the when or the how, <laughs> you know, I have a lot of clients who will wake up in the middle of the night and, and be speaking to themselves in a, you know, quite frankly, self-abusive manner, mm-hmm. you know, and, or when they attempt to do healthy behaviors around sleep, one of my favorite examples these days is, you know, if you're in your pajamas at nine o'clock, right? What most people say to themselves when that happens is, wow, I'm old and lame and look at me, (laughs) right? I'm ready for bed already. Well, that's actually a great time to be in your jammies and ready for bed. Mm -hmm. But we, we shame other people for that and we self-deprecate a lot of times. And that's a big discrepancy when you're looking to improve your sleep, right? You know, we have to come to terms with that. Like either we want to practice healthy sleep behaviors and we're going to be encouraging and positive about that. You can't have it both ways, right? Right, yeah. I wanna take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. 
I previously interviewed Diane Macedo, who wrote The Sleep Fix. And one of her points was that sometimes we try to hack our sleep so much and we try too many things and then it becomes kind of this obsession and we're overdoing it and trying to make it kind of this thing we do rather than letting our bodies just relax into it and, you know, kind of approaching it as this other task to tackle and perfect. How do you feel about that mindset? 100%. You know, I often talk about, you know, we, we try to, we try so hard in our culture, I think, when there's a problem to fix it, to figure it out, to control the problem, like to, to get to, to, I need to get my sleep problem under control. Right. And sleep is not about control. Sleep is about releasing and letting go and surrendering. Hmm. So oftentimes, the more people put strategies in place or uh, you know, bedtime routines is a great example of that. So many people put it, yeah, have these massive lists of all these things I need to do before bed or all these options of things that I could do to try to help myself. And, you know, I, I usually, when I work with people, try to help them identify what is the one area, what is the one thing that you know deep in your gut is going to have the most impact hmm. on your sleep in a positive direction. And until you're doing that consistently, until you're seeing, well, does this help or hurt, then, you know, there's nothing else to be doing, right? Less is more when it comes to sleeping well, especially sleeping well naturally. And so there, there is a lot to that. Mm -hmm. I think the key word you just said there also is consistently, because I know we all want quick fixes. And so we want something to happen immediately. So if you try let's say in your gut, you know, okay, I think this could help me. And you try it for maybe five nights and you're still not getting the results. Then it's like, well, that did, I tried that. That didn't work. I'll try another thing. And maybe dismissing that thing that could have worked if you just kept at it for longer. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and five nights is actually a long time for some people. Yeah, right? that's they true. Try, they try it one night and they go, well, it didn't help. Okay. Forget it. And right. And, what, what I think you, you might have said earlier, I'm not sure if we were recording at that point, but like the training of our system, right? The training of our mind and our body to uh, acclimate to things, to, to, to get into a habit, to get into a rhythm, which sleep is, right? We talk about circadian rhythm, but there's a lot of other energy highs and lows that happen throughout a day. And our bodies are used to rhythm, right? Eating schedules are part of rhythm. Having a consistent breakfast, lunch, dinner, maybe snacks or not, right? But what are we doing that's rhythmic on a basis, on a daily basis, really sets the stage for our system to respond when we want it to, right? So, you know, one of the things that I discuss a lot of times with people is how we have this, you know, very full day, uh, very full schedules, right? We get up, we go, go, go without a break, without a rest, without a stop, without a a refresh and then at night we do the oh I hate it's the dreaded word the unwinding right mm -hmm. at night the, the the point is you need to stop winding mm -hmm. or you need to unwind several times throughout the day because if you just try to unwind all at once at night first of all you can't do that enough to counter all the stuff that's happened during the day and and funny fun thing I often um, relate it to eating poorly all day 
right? Let's say you go to a fast food joint and you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks, and you just load up on all the garbage that you could possibly load up on. And then you say, well, I'm going to spend a half hour on the treadmill, right? (laughs) There's no way. Right. There's not enough self-care in the world, right, to do right before bed that's going to counter everything that, that has been that's needing processing during the day. So we need to be paying more attention to the rhythm of being active and then recovering and resting and being active and recovering and resting as a rhythm throughout the day so that we can ride a wave of energy as we wake up and not feel groggy for so long in the morning and then ride an energy wave downward Right. Okay. Now I'm feeling a little tired. Great. Go with that. Go to bed. (laughs) Just go to bed. (laughs) When you feel tired, roll with it. It's like when you are sleep training a baby or something, right? You're supposed to look for their sleep cues. And I think we get out of tune with those as we age. We don't look for our own sleep cues of, oh, I'm feeling tired. Maybe don't press play on the next Netflix episode. It's like, just go to bed. Yes, yes. There's that pushing through and getting the second wind. And that's really training us out of being able to rest and relax mm-hmm. because, oh, we feel, we feel a little tired. So we're going to do something to counter that because it's not, it's not acceptable, mm-hmm. but, it, but it is natural. Mm-hmm. Right. What are your tips for, I'm thinking, you know, a parent with young kids or any, any kids really, Uh, or somebody who works very late at their job. These are exact situations I'm pulling from clients, by the way, but in conversations we've had where they feel like, let's say the kids go to bed at 8 p.m. or they get home from work at 8 p.m. and then they want me time. And so they might feel tired at 9, 9.30, but they feel like I want to have special time for just myself at night. And so they kind of push through to that second wind. What do you advise for that person? Well, there is now a catchy term for that. It's called revenge bedtime procrastination. And it's so common that there's a catchy term for it. So no, you're not alone. (laughs) No, no. And this is really where we have to reprioritize ourselves. Right. I understand that there's a lot of things going on. I personally don't have kids, so I can't personally relate to that aspect, but I have coached many parents of children. There are, there are boundaries that need to be set, especially for women, I think, right, where we try to do everything and be everything for everybody, and we're last on our list if we're on the list at all. Hmm. And that me time, say that's a half hour that's delaying bedtime, that needs to go into the daytime somewhere. Something needs to change. Help needs to happen. No needs to happen, right? Support needs to be used. I work with a lot of women who have support who do not use it. Mm. And because, well, you know, oh, but I can do it. I can push through. I can, I don't need, you know, this is, this is not acceptable, right? We need to find that time for ourselves during the day. It's a non-negotiable. And then that half hour comes back at night. And you know what? If that doesn't happen, right, oftentimes the other thing that I see is that people will delay bedtime 
right? So they're losing out on some really important sleep at the beginning part of the night, which is important, particularly for non-REM sleep, which is half of the, at least half of the component for waking up feeling refreshed. The other is REM, which happens more so toward the early morning hours. Um, but also what often happens then is that they'll wake up in the middle of the night because there's still daytime stuff that hasn't been processed. Mm. I hear it a lot that it comes up in the mind. It's the mind chatter at 3 a.m., right? That, oh, I forgot to do this, or I need to do that, or uh, replaying a situation, oh, that happened and I should have done this, or, you know, whatever it is that comes up in the mind, or it can come up in the body as a restless feeling. But when, when there's no space for that in the day, then when the nighttime comes and it's quiet and it's there, that's when that stuff is going to come up because it's asking to be dealt with. So if you don't want that coming up in the night, if you want to protect and preserve your sleep, which of course I think is super important for everything else that happens, then that has to be fit into the daytime and it has to be prioritized. Going back to your example of you can't eat fast food all day long and then do 30 minutes on the treadmill at night to kind of unwind everything that happened in the day. And then you said, working in those unwinding activities throughout the day is really critical. What would that look like? What are those unwinding activities that you recommend throughout the day to prepare yourself for sleep at night? Well, again, it depends on the person. I have some, I have some favorite techniques that I pull from uh, yoga therapy traditions, you know, and, and I want to be clear here that these don't have to take up a lot of time. One of my favorite ones is a, a technique that breathe, where you breathe in time with moving your fingers. And it captures just enough of your attention. It focuses you on your breath in a way that's not overly restrictive, right? There's no counting. There's no make your breath do this or that. And it takes at tops five minutes, hmm. right? So that's one of my favorite techniques. Um, I Personally, I have a friend who is always busy, full-time job, lots of hobbies, almost never home. And her favorite thing is to sit down for 15 minutes and just let her eyes close. It's not a nap. She's not sleeping, but she's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And it's quiet, right? I've had, I've had clients take their lunch outside instead of working at their desk and have a nice nature scene and just have that moment to themselves. Right. So it doesn't have to be a half hour. It doesn't have to be an hour, but you know, we need to be, it could be a walk around the block without a headset, without music pounding, without a podcast on, right. <laughs> no, no offense to podcasts, right. <laughs> but, but just that it's, it's, it's no stimulation. Right. And I think that's an important point that we haven't brought up yet because a lot of the sleep problems, the root causes of our chronic sleep problems are what we call a hyper-aroused nervous system or an overstimulated nervous system, right? So there's activity, even in our decompression activities, right? It, rest is not recreation. Rest mm-hmm. is rest. Mm-hmm. And we're always doing something. And sometimes we're doing multiple things. So how can you stop for five minutes and do something that's really, truly restful for you. And for some people, like I said, that's sitting still. For other people, they need to move. I'm a mover. I like to move. So, you know, I'll do a, a, a movement, movement practice, a, a yoga practice, 
Um, it could be, you know, it could be any of those things and it varies for people. And what can you fit in? Right. I had a mom once, um, she had three kids and one was a baby and she had her, um, her nanny take the baby because her other kids were in, you know, daycare or school during the day. And she would lock herself in the bedroom and just spend five minutes laying on the floor. Hmm. And she, she was highly resistant to that at first. Like, oh my gosh, I can't give my, you know, I can't give my child to someone else, but she had the help. This is what I'm saying. Right. So use the help, <laughs> take the time and something so simple can be really powerful. It doesn't have to be these long drawn out programs and all the things again sometimes less is is so much more but we don't see what those little things are right away we get distracted by all the quick fixes and the tips and let me buy this supplement and let me drink this juice and let me have this blanket and all these things right the sleep aid industry is i think somewhere around 65 billion dollars now that i've heard it's it's crazy we don't need any of that stuff it's certainly nice to have a great mattress sure Mm -hmm. But that's not what it's about for most of my clients. Yeah, those are just Band-Aid solutions, if that. I mean, they might not even help. Exactly. Maybe they do, but they're not getting to the root cause. When you're talking, and even just your example of the woman closing her eyes for 15 minutes, that's very freeing to me because I'm not a good nap. I've never been somebody who can fall sleep in the middle of the day. And then again, I'm telling myself, I can't do that, but I've tried, you know, like I'm a good napper and like, I, I really can't nap, but then knowing I could just close my eyes for 15 minutes, I don't have to fall asleep. And then maybe I even would, if the pressure was taken away of this is a nap and you're supposed to fall asleep. If it were just, I'm closing my eyes for 15 minutes. Uh, well, nap, naps are a whole other area, right? Because yeah. they can be they can be a band-aid. Like there's certain times, there's certain populations where napping is a good idea. If you're a new mom and you're up with your baby all night, sleep when you sleep. Like forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> sleep when you sleep. Right. For older adults where sleep is naturally at night sort of um, disintegrating for lack of a better word, because it it does for a lot of older adults have a regular nap. It's almost like when your child is young, they have a regular nap time until mm -hmm. they grow out of it. We almost go back to that, mm -hmm. right, as we get older. But again, it's the rhythm. It's not a, it's not a, um, well, I'll do it when I feel like it. It's like, no, at this point, I'm going down from a nap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> again, cause it's more than just the nap itself. It's the rhythm. It's the cadence of it. But for most typical adults, Napping can actually take away from their ability to sleep at night. And again, it's a band-aid. It's like, okay, well, let me, let me nap because it's all the rage and I'm not addressing the problem I'm having at night. So I'm using the nap during the daytime and then I'm taking away um, what's called sleep drive or pressure, which naturally builds through your day, which makes you tired at night. You can think of it like a release valve. So when you nap, if you really do truly nap for too long or too deep, you're taking away some of that nighttime uh, capacity to sleep. So it's a, it's a careful, naps aren't always as recommended as, you know, we see on social media um, from many folks. 
And um, the other thing I want to point out there is that the, the woman closing her eyes and not sleeping, as you point out, this is rest, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people, if they close their eyes and they don't fall asleep, that might mean they're not sleepy. It can mean that they're fatigued. And fatigue is different than sleepy. Mm-hmm. And I think we say, oh, I'm tired. And yes, there might be problems at night, but are we really tired as in sleepy? Or are we tired as in fatigued, which might respond well to hydration, mm. which might respond to nourishment, which might respond to going outside for some light or some movement, right? So it's not as simple as just saying, I'm tired. So the, the answer is a nap, right? I'm tired. So, okay, how do you discern what it is that you most need in that moment? Yeah, that's a really good point. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. Something else you said earlier really stuck with me. You said, you know, in your gut, you probably know something to try that could help you sleep better. And I really leaned into this. I knew in my gut that it was my phone. And I think if the majority of us are being honest with ourselves, the time we spend scrolling in bed or one of my clients, or maybe I read it somewhere else, but somebody said doom scrolling because it's kind of like, you don't know what you're going to get when you open up these apps. So it could be puppies and kittens and little kids saying funny stuff. And it could be relaxing. It could also take you down a rabbit hole where you're seeing news stories and really depressing stuff. And then this is right before you fall asleep. And so I knew for myself that the phone was an issue. And so I think last year, so we're in what, 2023. So 2022, my goal of that year was I need to work on sleep, but in a way where I'm putting myself into more relaxation and I'm not like doing everything. So I knew for me, I thought I'm going to try reading from a physical book, not a device with a book light instead of scrolling on my phone and just make it be that the book is the last thing I see before I fall asleep. It can't be my phone. And so some nights I read for five minutes. Sometimes I read for 40 minutes. It has been the biggest game changer for me just not to see my phone as the last thing. And it's something about the physical book. It's also the routine of it now, I'm sure, where once the light comes on and I open the book, I mean, I can read sometimes like two pages and not even remember falling asleep, which is huge for me because I had years and years where it would take me 30 minutes to an hour to fall asleep. And in that time, I would start getting stressed of, oh, now I'm only going to get seven hours. Now I'm only going to get six and a half. And I mean, it's, I can't even describe how much of a game changer it's been for me. Do you find that for many people, the phone is the one thing their gut's telling them they need to kind of work on in their evening setting before sleep? 
I hear it a lot. Yes. Yes. And different, I think it's what's interesting to, to point out, you know, from a coaching perspective, the answer, that answer could be the same thing for 10 different clients, right? 10 different people can say to me, I need to get off my phone. The how that, that ha- the how that happens, the steps that it takes to go from, say, scroll, doom scrolling every night for hours before bed to, you know, for example, going to bed with a book on a consistent basis, that varies widely from client to client because clearly something is happening when they're doing, when they're engaging in that behavior. There is a benefit to our bad habits. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them. Mm-hmm. So part of the, the interesting thing I find is to figure out, well, what is it that's, that's, that we're getting from that sometimes? Right? Because we can say, oh, I'm going to lock my – I had a guy who locked his phone in his kitchen cabinet. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? It's like, I can't, ha- can't have it anywhere near me. It's got to be away, right? And, and sometimes that works. But that's about discipline. Right. And that's a very rigid way of, of doing it. And it certainly works for some people, but I look for things that are sustainable. So it's like, okay, what do we, what benefits are we getting from this? And where can we look to other places to be getting those same benefits so that it feels less like a deprivation? Oh, I have to put away my phone. I can't use this. I got to take this away. I have to deprive myself, which is not a great way to continue moving forward. Right. We want to, experience something that's pleasurable that makes us want to do it more it sounds like you did that with your book you started reading and you really enjoyed it so you did it more and now you know you probably maybe don't think about the phone as much anymore and because you're seeing the impact it has on your sleep but for some people initially right that it can take some time for that to happen and so we look for you know what are some of the underlying motivators what are some of the benefits? What are some changes we can make that feel reasonable to do as an experiment? Learn from that, get some feedback from it. And it's not always about, certainly the screens and the blue light, right? They affect melatonin production. They are stimulating uh, and, and do push away sleep to some extent, but there's also just stimulation in general. I had a I had a client once who was reading a hard copy book before bed and still couldn't sleep. Mm. And and so I said to him, Well, I'm curious what kind of things are you reading about? And he was a history buff. He was reading about World War Two before bed. Now to me I would I that would put me to sleep. Yeah, for sure. But for him <laughs> But for him that was very engaging. It was very right, if you're reading a suspense novel or you know, something about murder and, you know, destruction or, you know, even something just intricate that is exciting to your system. Even a hard copy book can be adding stimulation. And when we're overly stimulated through the whole day, then even the act of reading a hard copy book that is a little bit engaging can push us over the edge and keep us awake. Mm -hmm. So it's often a lot of little things and it's looking at where are these things really stimulating us where we don't realize that they are. Right. What are some transitions that you've seen work for a lot of clients in terms of, I want to move away from the phone? Um, so journaling is certainly a, a big thing for, for many people. Prayer and meditation oftentimes have been useful for people. 
and I don't mean meditation with apps. I mean, you know, yeah. you know real on your own, learn how to meditate, <laughs> meditations, um, breathing exercises. And again, ones that are, I, I have to say this because it, it sort of is a pet peeve of mine that there are so many breathwork practices and meditations out there that people just Google and think, oh, this should work for me when this is a real uh, skill. It's a real art to be crafting meditations and breath practices that are for that person's system because mm-hmm. they are powerful and they do the intention is to slowly move them into the state that they want to be and to infect their day to make them more mindful without needing to work on being mindful so uh, there's a lot out there that sort of is you know generic and doesn't doesn't do what it the full capacity of what it could be doing um you know, but and, and for some people, reading is great. I personally, I read before bed, but there are, you know, I'll get a book from the library and I'll try it out. I was like, oh, wait, oh, I can't. <laughs> this, is, this Wait, this is a morning book. <laughs> this is not an evening book. This is a morning book, right? Right. Well, that's so, uh, good to distinguish and to, to discuss. I like the breathing exercise you mentioned of you just move your fingers with your breath. Yes. there's that a very accessible. Yes. That's that's one that that's it's in my book and I teach it um, pretty widely. It's uh, there's a downloadable that people can grab. Um, I call it the four fast ways to something about four fast ways to get to sleep, <laughs> which is a bit misleading because I don't think we're about fast, right? But it's, right, right. it's a catchy name that gets people interested. In that. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get them in. <laughs> right, but it's it's less of, again. It's less about that and more about addressing the underlying problem of this nervous system overstimulation and bringing it back to balance. I I like to think of these things like, you know, people who take melatonin, for example, they often don't realize that that's a, that's a tool that tells your body the time to sleep is soon. Mm -hmm. It doesn't put you to sleep. Mm -hmm. But I think especially for people who are taking it every day, which it's not recommended for, but people are taking it now every day and they expect, oh, I take this pill, it puts me to sleep. No, that's not how it works. I have people who wake up in the middle of the night and take melatonin. It's like, whoa, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> this is not This is not what you think it is. It isn't what you think it is. Mm-hmm. So these practices, whether we do them before bed, whether we do them in the daytime, it's signaling to our body that we can rest that we can go back to that rest and digest response, right? Which is the other side of the nervous system that is so neglected because we're so much in that stress response and flight and fight and go, 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 right? It's just trying to bring us back to balance. And then sleep happens as a side effect Mm -hmm. of that. And that's how I've been trying to describe it lately, right? It's a Sleep is the side effect of the practice. It's not something that happens as a result of doing it. And so I think that helps people also to distinguish that, well, does it work, right? If I do a finger breathing practice and I'm, not, I'm still awake, well, it didn't work, so I don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is to build that rest and digest response in your nervous system, in your body, to help it accumulate, to help it bring bring yourself back to balance so that over time, sleep happens. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. You just go to bed when you're supposed to. <laughs> right. You just sleep. Yeah. yeah. 
One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Oh, gosh. I think what it means to make a health investment is to say there's an aspect or aspects of my health that I'm going to prioritize, that I'm going to think about on a regular basis, and that I'm going to make specific choices about that I honor. Right. So, for example, every week I look at my schedule and I say, where am I exercising? Mm. Where am I doing a meditation? And that gets blocked. Mm -hmm. That gets done. I track that. I mean, not as like rigid, you know, oh, I've done you know this many calories or this, this much time. But did I do what I say what I, I was going to do when I said I was going to do it? Mm-hmm. And if not, what happened and how am I, how am I going to make the changes that I, I want to be able to do that? And so I think it's, it's just not a one time, let me think about it and then try to fix it. And oh, this doesn't work. So forget about it. I'm just, yeah, I'm just hopeless. I'm just not a good sleeper. I'm just not someone who can, right. And say, okay, well, the goal is maybe incorrect and needs to be adjusted or the support I'm giving, the support that needs to be there to help me accomplish my goal is not there. So how do I find it? Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe that's hiring a coach. Maybe that's, you know, hiring some help with the kids. Maybe that's asking a friend to take a play date. Right? There are so many different ways to support oneself. So it's really having that, having this be a process and a journey that we that we've learned from, you know, that we adapt as things happen. Because like you said at the beginning, things change, right? The phases of life, stuff happens, you know, there's travel, there's, there's marriages, there's divorces, there's births, there's deaths, there's pandemics, right? There's all sorts of things that we have to learn to manage. And it's not a one, it's not a one-time, it's not a one-time thing. The investment is that this is a process. It's part of life. And it's a part that is important for us to continue to show up in the best way possible. So, Mm. yeah, I love that. Where can we buy your book and follow you and find you? Yeah. So my website is calliepatrick.com. They can also find me at calliesleepcoach.com. Same thing. And uh, on that site, is, it's pretty much everything they need to know. They can, they can download a free uh, sample chapter of the book. Um, the chapter is called Lifestyle Habits Wrecking Your Sleep. So it, it will have uh, several of the things that we talked about uh, today, if, if they want a little bit more detail about that. There's also the ability to book a clarity call. It's a free consultation, essentially, to see if coaching is a good approach for them. And uh, on the website is also my online course, which is called the Sleep Academy. Hmm. So it's a six-week self-paced sleep training that encapsulates some of the the concepts that we talked about here and gives them a a taste of what sleep coaching is and how I bring uh, the yoga and meditation practices into that. Um, But it's for those, you know, people who like to do it themselves. And, but there's lots of opportunity in the course also to interact with me. So Awesome. Well, I will put link a link to your website in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much for being here. Everything you said really spoke to me and I'm already kind of rethinking my own practices throughout the day and in the evening. And 
I love that. I learned a lot and I know my listeners did also. So thank you so much for your time, Callie. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.